This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. everybody, and welcome to Better Late Than Never. This is a movie podcast where I invite a friend to watch a blockbuster, a cult favorite, or an otherwise culturally significant film that they've never seen before. After we watch the movie, my guest will decide if it was better late that they've been missing out by not having seen the film, or never. The movie just didn't live up to the hype for them. My name is Dave, and I'm your host. Today, I am joined first by regular guest Josh. Josh, hello. Hi. But that's not very special. Nobody cares about you, Josh. No, today is special because we are joined by a first-timer, and that is my sister, Jessica, who is going to be joining us for the very first time. Jess, hello. Woo! Hi, guys. Welcome to the podcast. We are going to be watching a movie that none of us has ever seen before, and that is 16 Candles from 1984. Guys, welcome to the show, and happy, uh, you know, we're recording this for February, which is the most romantic of all of the months, so happy, uh, yes. happy romance month, yes. Wait, uh, you yes. haven't seen this either? I have not seen this one either. It's a new one for everybody. All right, cool. Jess, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I've always wanted to see this movie, and of course, I never got around to it. So why is that, Jess? This seems kind of like uh, the kind of movie that was made for you, because I don't want to blow anything, but you are a girl, and this seems like a girl's movie. Uh, why haven't you seen it? Um, that's a really good question. I think I don't have a good answer for that. But I have seen The Breakfast Club a whole bunch of times, and I love that. So, you know, I didn't want anything to replace The Breakfast Club. You were, like, afraid it was going to... <laughs> that it would be better, and then my heart would be broken. Are you a huge fan of The, of the Breakfast Club? Yes, I... Definitely enjoy watching it. If it's on TV, I have to, like, finish watching it. Oh, it's one it. of those, yeah. Yeah, it's just fun. And it's so 80s. It's just entertaining. Like, you can't help but enjoy it and smile and remember high school. Was high school for you anything like The Breakfast Club? Not at all. And I think that's one reason why I like it. You kind of... It is preferable to the actual high school yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. I think... Fair that enough. high school is more fun than real high school. Yeah, that's fair. Josh, what about you? You haven't seen 16 Candles. Why not, dude? I'm not. I'm a stranger to the 
to the uh, John uh, Hughesiverse, the John Cinematic Hughesiverse. Yeah, hold I'm, on a second. Who who is this John Hughes? We keep we, we've referenced. What is this Breakfast Club? Can you explain that, Josh? Yeah, in the 1980s, there was a series of movies all aimed at uh, teens of uh, the youths, and uh, all directed by a guy I think named John Hughes. Now, I I often in my head confuse John Hughes with John Waters. <laughs> uh, which is which is a very different uh, different personality in the film and different very very different film style. So I am passingly familiar with Breakfast Club. I think I've seen parts of it. Never sat down and watched it start to finish. Um, but it, I've seen enough of it that I would not apply for this podcast. A, a viewing would be you know not not fair. But uh, nothing about it ever motivated me to watch any of the other ones. Pretty in Pink. Uh, 16 Candles, St. Elmo's Fire. I mean, there's like a huge canon of these. I've, I've seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but, uh, you know, I guess that's an ancillary. That's like in that's in the universe. So I said, but that's really not tonally the same as as like this one and and Pretty in Pink. The, the, and I think I'm going to make a prediction early on. We're going to see Molly Ringwald in this movie, right? Uh, that is a prediction that I have. Jess, do you agree with this? Uh, who's Molly Ringwald? Wait, what? <laughs> you said you are a huge Breakfast Club fan. <laughs> oh, that's her. Okay, yes, yes. Yeah. Wait, she is in the Breakfast Club, right? Now I'm doubting. Now I don't know. Yeah, now I'm, she is. Yes. I know that Emilio Estevez is. Yeah. He is, too. Yeah. Um, Judd, Judd, uh, Judd N- Nelson? Riley? Judd Nelson, not Judd Apatow. Now wait, but Josh, uh, you said the John Hughes averse. Uh, w- are you positing that all of these movies exist in a cinematic universe like the MCU? I'm cribbing my. I think I'm cribbing Kevin Smith because I'm pretty sure they have a conversation in at least in like Clerks where they talk about all these John Hughes movies and Jay's like all these mother John Hughes movies all take a place in the same. So I think oh, I don't. My, I don't remember my, that scene. I think my mind may be stealing from Kevin Smith, but I I do believe I coined the phrase John Cinematic Universe. I don't think Kevin Smith. There was no Marvel Cinematic Universe when Clerks came out. Kids, if you, I don't know if you know that, but I'm, do kids even know about Kevin Smith these days? Just do you know who he, Kevin Smith is? Who's Kevin Smith? Yeah, see, the kids he's, don't know. He's the brother of Elliot Smith. Oh. Uh, who's Elliot Smith? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Oh no! Now we're breaking my heart. <laughs> Wait, do you really not know Kevin Smith, filmmaker? Uh, he made the movie Tusk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one he's known for. I think you would know his movie Red State. Uh, Josh is naming some of his lesser efforts. He made um, Clerks and Chasing Amy. Okay, Chasing Amy. Yeah, I know that one. Dogma. Dogma's the one. Okay. All right. Now I. Now I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Kind of. But he's kind of the 90s version. I mean, he doesn't deal with angsty teens. He deals with an angsty Ben Affleck. But he is kind of a 90s. Uh, he's someone who I think was heavily inspired by John Hughes. Uh, classic. Yeah. Classic filmmaker. Yeah. Well, uh, the other film that we're doing for February is a Cameron Crowe movie, who I think also there's a lot of kind of shared DNA between those two filmmakers, I would say. But anywho, let's uh, let's move on a little bit to what we think is going to happen in this movie 
16 candles and uh i think i'll take a turn as we start talking about what we think the movie is about so like we said uh haven't seen this movie but i actually think i've got a pretty good idea about some of the content of this film i think i know what it's about i'm calling it that this is going to be like a a teen movie you know (laughs) Uh, a coming of age film kind of a romantic movie not like a romantic comedy but like there'll be some romance uh and i think what it's about is that molly ringwald is in it it's her 16th birthday hence the 16 candles of the title you see um (laughs) (laughs) what a bold prediction thank you bold bold prediction thank you thank you and but but what happens is it's one of these, um, the whole thing is, uh, it's a, it's a whole thing unfolds over a single day type movies and, um, everyone forgets it's her birthday and it's a big deal to her, but everybody forgets and she's got a crush on somebody and he's the only one who remembers and there's a scene where he remembers, and maybe we'll save the details of that scene for a little later when we talk about particular shots and scenes. Uh, that's me, and we can move on now to anyone else who might have well, predictions. I would like to jump in and say, Dave, that you... I, I sort of keep forgetting that you haven't seen this one, because I feel like we've done a stretch where you, you have seen them and I haven't, but it does kind of seem like you've seen this one based on that description well it's that very was, it's very zeitgeisty this one this I one's predict- permeated it, the culture a lot i would make the prediction it is not a single day i just uh i don't know i i maybe i'll eat my hat on that so i'm gonna i'm gonna contradict your prediction and say it takes place over more than a single day i think robert downey jr is in this movie okay and I also want to say I think John Cusack is in this movie, but I also believe myself to be wrong in that prediction. So you don't think John Cusack's in the movie? No, I think he's in it, but I but another but the rest of my brain is like, yeah, that's but that's also not correct. Is so it's like two predictions that I predict that he's in it, and I also predict that I'm wrong that he's in it. I will also say that a lot of my like, I feel like I have a good idea of this movie, but I also. And like could very easily be thinking of Pretty in Pink, which I've also not seen. And I'm just kind of like, which one's which? I don't know. Anyway, that, Jess, that, what, what wait, do you got? Can I, can I just say that allows me to embarrassingly confess I saved my uh, my file name for this recording is Pretty in Pink Pod because I was confused up until the minute we started. <laughs> yeah, uh, I almost called it Pretty in Pink in the intro, too. I'm kind of like, which one are we doing? Like, I can't tell these movies apart. Maybe I will once I've seen one of them. But uh, Jess, what do you what do you have for predictions on this one? So I took notes before we came in today to do this podcast so that I would remember what I want to say. You Good literally mentioned every single bullet that I had written down. No, but that's good. That means that means we're on the same. What do you, what did you have? So it's going to be a coming of age movie, and the main character. It's going to be her birthday, and I predict that she's going to make a birthday wish. Oh, but she's unhappy with the way her life is going right now. So she makes her birthday wish and ultimately she's going to realize that the grass is not always greener on the other side. I also think that there's going to be kind of a 
fairy godmother character role model for her that's going to try and encourage her to go down certain paths and to make certain decisions that ultimately are in her best interest. That was nothing like what I said. (laughs) The coming of age part was. And being her 16th birthday was. What do you think the wish will be? I think she's very frustrated being in high school and she's got a younger brother that drives her crazy and parents that are always nagging her and on her back and she's conflicted with her friends and school and everything around her and she just wishes for everything to be different or for all these people to be out of her life and it's gonna happen and she's gonna realize how important everyone is to her and how much she needs them and they need her so do you think there's like a magical realism quality yes okay because she's gonna have her fairy godmother i see okay josh um do you have any idea who is in it besides Molly Ringwald? Uh and Robert Downey Jr. Well, if if RDJ is not in it, then I mean I could take a guess and say and I also believe John Cryer is in this movie because I I still to this day don't understand John Cryer's popularity outside of the television show Two and a Half Men. And I think I think it's because of movies like this. Um, I think he was part of this brat pack and I, I guess we could, maybe that's part two stuff, but that's, that's one other thing. I, I guess it's a, I think this is a brat pack, uh, film. Oh, it is for real a brat pack film. Jess, do you know what the brat pack is? No, but I'm kind of like figuring it out. Jess, do you know what the rat pack is? Should I? Wow. This is like Kevin Smith all over again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The Rat Pack was the name for a running crew of singers and entertainers uh, headed by Frank Sinatra, and in it was the likes of Sammy Davis Jr. The Brat Pack was like the teen, the angsty teen 80s version of this running crew. <laughs> so basically all the people's, people in the Breakfast Club. I was just going to say that that sounds like the entire Breakfast, fruit, breakfast plus, Club. Plus, we'll talk plus, about it in part two. Plus Rob Lowe. We'll talk about it in part two. Oh, man. Sorry, Dave. Oh, don't worry. Well, I actually uh, have a couple of people who I'm pretty sure in this, unless, Jess, you have any predictions on it. Oh, I think the entire cast of The Breakfast Club is also in Oh, you think they're all coming back? I think they're all coming back, or a majority of them. Interesting. Okay. Um, Can I say, I I would like to posit uh, not a counter prediction again, but I... Dude, I feel like this person's going to be happy with their life for some reason. I think this is the opposite, where a person is happy with their life and things fall apart. Okay. I I honestly don't. I, I'm going with it's it's just smaller and everyone just forgets her birthday. That's what I'm thinking. Not that she forget they forget her birthday, but that you know she's a stereotypical sixteen year old girl in high school that hates her life. Now is 16 16's huge. You're you can speak best to this, Jess. So 16 is pretty big, right? Like cuz as a guy, I don't think you think about it as much. I don't even know what I did when I turned 16. So it was not not a big birthday for you. <laughs> no. Dave, not at what all. about you? 16 wasn't a big year for me. No. I mean 
I think I did. I think I treated it specially. I think my friends and I went to a Goldfinger concert. Ooh, because it was like a big deal. It was like sixteen, man. So the same thing you would do now that you're in your thirties. Well, ne- yeah. I mean, if they were still concerts to go to, <laughs> yes. Right. Are you a freshman or a sophomore in high school? I guess it depends what month your birthday is. Okay, yeah, uh, it, nothing special. I think sophomore. Yeah, I think I was a so- I was always a little bit younger, so sophomore. I wanna I wanna mention though. Number one, um, I'm pretty sure Anthony Michael Hall is in this movie. Might be the John Cryer character you're thinking of, Josh. Could be. Yeah, but there is a specific character who I am pretty sure is in this movie. And it is a character who goes by the name of Long Duck Dong, who is played by Getty Watanabe. And he is an incredibly offensive Asian stereotype. So your prediction is this movie's not going to hold up maybe in some in some, uh, you know, not areas. in those parts. Uh no, and I don't know, like, I don't really know what he does exactly, other than I'm pretty sure he's going to, like, talk in that very offensive Asian stereotype way. The one we saw as recently as the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> the I one that never still watched prevail- that, but... I, it's a good show, but it's certainly a flawed, has some flawed racial humor. Okay, I do know that the 80s were big for that. I just, I, I have no data to back this up but anecdotally feel like the 80s was really huge for asian racism so uh, oh this yeah is probably an example of it you're right on i mean it's pretty prevalent in cinema <laughs> if he could go you could go earlier than the 80s you could go later than the 80s yeah, but I just maybe feel the, like the 80s like really set a set a bar you know yeah I mean, nothing beats the, uh, well, not, it's going to be too off topic, but the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> I mean, we don't need to go down that <laughs> rabbit hole, union? but the trade union, those trade union guys, it's terrible. Yeah. Okay. Well, these anyway. are children's movies. Yeah. Um, well, so, uh, does anyone have any other predictions about the movie? Are there any particular shots or scenes in the film that you think you're going to see? I don't think I've seen any of this movie so it's all gonna be brand new i i haven't even seen like a glimpse josh i'm gonna say a close-up of a, the top of a cake like a camera that is just like a close-up shot of the top of the cake and all of the candles but I, and i also don't want to like bogart the conversation much because also since it's jess's first podcast like what is your you know do you watch a lot of movies like what where are you coming at this from? Are you coming at this from the perspective of a a John uh Hughes fan that you want to learn more of the universe or how do you, how would you rank your movie watchingness? Um I do not watch a lot of movies or TV shows and when I do it's usually like years and years after they came out and were popular. So I've definitely missed all the hype for this movie and basically everything else in pop culture who's john hughes we still haven't established that uh we'll talk we'll about get to him that. in part two <laughs> okay yeah. we'll get we'll get to that later okay yeah. we'll get to, wasn't this podcast at one point like floated as being called we'll get to that we'll get to that later we'll get to that in we'll a little circle bit. back to that <laughs> catchphrase of the pod 
Yeah, uh, Jess and I, Josh, are very much opposites. Where I'm, I'm the huge cinephile, and Jess uh, doesn't doesn't care. <laughs> I don't know anything of this type of stuff. I don't know but, names, groups, music well, titles. This movie did uh, well. That's another thing. Do you think there's going to be a lot of '80s pop culture yes. that is very prevalent? There are going to be scrunchies, leg warmers, leggings. I bet the soundtrack will be loaded, and I'm willing to bet Molly Ringwald will be very stylish. Yeah. For the 80s. Totally. It's interesting that it, this was a, I mean, with this movie is in all all three of our blinders, and it's it's kind of seems like rare for that to be the case uh, with something that I, I believe was as popular as this one was. Yeah, yeah. But I think it goes to the type of movie it was. I was a very typical boy. I liked lasers and shoot 'em ups and things exploding. So, you know, a movie about uh, girls coming of age wouldn't have interested me. So That's, I think yeah. the biggest difference between you and I, Dave, is that you watch a movie and you get totally absorbed into it with the the writers, the directors, the characters. Like, you become very obsessed. Mm. I watch a movie. I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, that was good. I'd watch it again. Yeah, I yeah, I'm fair. not connected. I built a whole like level. life absorbing hobby around talking about all this stuff. <laughs> right, like when you talk about Star Wars and Game of Thrones or Jurassic Park and Ghostbusters, you yeah, you just dive right into it. Yeah. So does this mean that you you are you predicting Jess that Dave is gonna watch this movie and then immediately afterward Pretty in Pink? Breakfast Club, St. Elmo's Fire, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I'm really hoping that happens, especially with his birthday coming up. I'm hoping to, you know, make some big plans, you know, see what I can take from the movie. You can buy me the uh, Molly Ringwald outfit I can start wearing. You're going to dress up like Molly Ringwald? Maybe. We'll see what she wears. I want to mention that I've had one scene, I think, spoiled on this by a Family Guy joke. No. Yeah. What scene? Um, so. No, don't tell me. All right. You can earmuffs it if you want. Earmuffs. Um, there's a scene. I There's a Family Guy cutaway where um, Molly Ringwald is sitting on a table with a cake that has candles on it and a very hunky boy is across the table and I think that's, like, her crush object, who, like, uh, is the only one who remembered her birthday. And then the only other prediction I have on this is that uh, it's a John Hughes movie, so I think everyone will be very rich, and I think it'll take place in the suburbs of Chicago. Why Chicago? John Hughes loves Chicago. Oh. Okay. Josh, you got anything else? Nothing serious. I mean, I think I've covered most of my actor. They were mostly thoughts on actors and mildly on plot. I hope it's funny. It's definitely going to be funny. The Breakfast Club was funny, and these are just looking back at high school. It's laughable. I'm a little apprehensive. Uh, You know, uh, teen girls coming of age movie. I worry this will be boring. I was going to say, I have a, I do have a theory that my, I was trying to save maybe for part two, but if I save it for part two and say it, then you guys will be convinced that I just, you know, it, I didn't have it before. So 
I have a feeling this movie might not be great mm. because we haven't seen it. And other, I mean, I do believe this was popular, but like of, it's like basically, I feel like this might be the ketchup flavored Lay's potato chips of the John Hughes movies. Cause like everyone's grabbing like sea salt and vinegar and ketchup is just sitting there on the shelf. Now there are people who love ketchup flavored potato chips, but, <laughs> but that's like one sixth of the, you know, most of the customers are going for the other flavors, which is why we've all seen breakfast club or, or know of it or Ferris Bueller's day off. I'm kind of with you, Josh. I, I think some people view this movie through rose colored glasses and we're going to watch this now and kind of just be like, eh. No, I've been looking forward to watching this movie for so long. Okay, well, <laughs> that's kind of great because I—it's really going to be like I—I I like I'm going to have fun tracking our different. We were Dave and I going in with similar low expectations. Jess going with high expectations. So that excited. usually doesn't. That usually does not work out. By the way, <laughs> and I hope you're right. I really do. So, all right. Well, I guess we're ready to watch this thing. Let's do it. I got the popcorn on the stove in my easy bake oven. All right, right on. So, everyone, pretty in pink. Let's do this. Woo! <laughs> Wait, 16 candles, right? Oh, my God. I already, rent- <laughs> I, already, I already rented it, man. This is the part where we're watching the movie. And now it's done. And so we're back. From watching, what was that? Pretty in Pink? 16 Candles? 16 Candles. I'm almost positive. Yeah, no, I think we all watched the right movie. Oh, good. All right. Josh, what do you think? Did you like it? I thought it was very, it was uh, very funny. Jess, what about you? Did, did you enjoy the film? I'm just, it was not what I was expecting, and I'm a little disappointed in that. Oh, but damn. it was it was definitely entertaining. Well, that's good. Now, this is sort of jumps back to what I said in the first part. It was not what I expected. And I don't think it was what you expected, Jess. I feel like it was not at all. We all went in with it. Like Dave and I had kind of a similar expectation for what it was going to be. I, I, I was not prepared for that. I did not think it was going to be anything like it was so more similar to Porky's than Breakfast Club. It just it was totally different. But I mean, did you like it? Okay. Okay. I enjoyed it. I, I liked it too. Um, I I sort of liked the first half more than the second half. You know, like I, I was sort of digging it as long as it was focused on the high school. And then once it like got out of that into, and we'll get more into this in more depth in, in a few, but we'll circle back to that if you will. But um, once it kind of got into the second day, and that was a missed prediction on my part. It was not all in one day. But um, uh, the the whole, like, once it started to be about the wedding and stuff, I was kind of like, oh, my God. All right, let's wrap this thing up already. Like, you know, and waiting for it to end. Uh, but apart from that, I kind of kind of dug it. Yeah, I don't know what I was really not expecting it to be so goofy and and to be so it, it wasn't like watching a. I mean, really, what was the plot? <laughs> like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, what was the driving thing? I, I, she, Molly, it was just a girl's birthday. I, I think I, I would love to dissect it th- through, like, I don't want to, you know, uh, I, I think I can dissect it primarily through, like, recap. But, uh, yes, you guys both nailed it. 
it was about a forgotten birthday that I mean, I think that's probably well known. I probably should have known that. But beyond that, was it about finding love or was it about just how difficult it is to be a teenager in a big family? And it had a very odd lens through which it viewed adults and uh, even the borderline racist character was oh. was not to say that it made sense, but uh, it kind of felt like a part, a piece of the rest of the film. I wasn't ready for gratuitous nuity. I'll tell you that much. That shocked mm. me. I it was like, what is this going to be? I mean, I, I had, I, I don't know. Um, I'd say I enjoyed it on the whole, but whoa, it was very, it was more like a John Waters movie than a, what I, a John Hughes movie in my mind. Okay. How familiar are you with John Waters? Not very, my friend. Yeah. Uh, no, I've that, seen that might... like, uh, I've seen Hairspray and I've seen the original Hairspray, not the musical. And I've seen, uh, uh, there's one with Johnny Depp, uh, you know, like uh, that's like a teen bop, uh, or teenage, some sort of thing. Johnny Dangerously. No, that's a Michael Keaton movie, I think. Well, anyway, I, I you know, before we start diving into like, uh, the nitty gritty of it, I will just say, um, I thought it kind of did a really nice job of just it's it was sort of like a character study movie, you know, a little bit. And I thought it did kind of a nice job of putting you in the headspace of a teenage girl, you know, and Jess, maybe you can reflect a little bit better than me and Josh are and how accurate it was. But at least insofar as this character goes, I don't know how generally applicable it was, but I, I really felt like I understood this character and where she was coming from and how she was feeling like the whole time. Yeah. She was definitely like a forgotten person. Yeah. She, and she was having a rough go of it. Yeah. Poor yeah. Samantha, Samantha Baker. Yeah. Well, anyway, so let's talk about the movie. I didn't do a ton of background on this movie. I thought instead we would focus a little bit on the guy who made it and that was John Hughes, the creator of the John Hughes-averse, uh, which is a term that I coined uh, pretty recently. Excuse me? He directed the film and wrote it. It's important to note. And this is his directorial debut. This is the first movie he directed himself. So, Jess, you were asking who is John Hughes in part one, right? Yeah. He is a very famous director and also writer he's well known for writing a ton of movies and he has made either as a director or as a writer or as both a lot of very famous films uh in particular movies from the 80s that are kind of either coming of age films or kind of well-known comedies so you would think of like this movie pretty in pink the breakfast club You've got, uh, what else, Josh? Um, oh my God. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. Uh, Weird Science. Weird Science. Weird Science. Weird Science. And Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Right. And he also wrote a bunch. So movies that he wrote would be like a Vacation, uh, like a bunch of the Vacation movies. He wrote Home Alone. He wrote, do you guys remember the Beethoven movies? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but it's it's mostly these um, movies featuring the Brat Pack. So that was another thing that came up before. And Josh did a pretty good 
job explaining who the Brat Pack was. And just to clarify, Jess, they were, um, uh, as Josh said, so it's a derivation of Rat Pack. So the Rat Pack was like this group of guys from an earlier era who were, you know, uh, entertainers, like actors, singers. Um, it made me you know, laugh. Very- it really made me laugh. And one of uh, Samantha's grandparents was like, Sammy Davis Jr. I was like, throwback to part one, baby. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so the Brat Pack were in the 80s, and a lot of them were actors who all appeared in the same movies together, in particular John Hughes movies, um, and Molly Ringwald was one of them. And then you've also got Anthony Michael Hall, who was in this movie, uh, Ali Sheedy, Rob Lowe, like you said, Josh. Although St. Elmo's Fire is not a Hughes, but it's in no, the No, it's, it's, it's not, but it's a Brad Pack film. And yeah, yeah. John Cusack, uh, what is it, uh, his famous one, Say Anything, not a John Hughes movie, but also kind of in the same in the same Brat Pack averse, right? And I again think that Cameron Crowe and John Hughes kind of have a lot in common, yeah. Uh, as as filmmakers, um, Emilio Estevez, Judd Nelson, Demi Moore, and Andrew McCarthy are kind of like core Brat Packers, and then kind of in the in their orbit, you've got Robert Downey Jr., James Spader, Matt Dillon. Uh, Charlie Sheen, just kind of with his Emilio Estevez. I was going to say the guy who played uh, the the Jake Michael Shefflane was a real Matt Dillon type. Uh, not not like there was a moment later in the movie where I was like, "Is that that is that Matt Dillon?" No, that's definitely not a young Matt Dillon. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, Josh. Did you think he was handsome? I thought everyone in this movie was handsome. <laughs> Every even the geeks, <laughs> even all the geeks are good looking. Like this is one of those movies that's that's basically uh, everyone is human across all spectrums of the social circle. I mean, I sorry, every human is beautiful across all spectrums of the social circle and rich. Um, yeah, Evanston, right? Evanston, Illinois. I mean, I, I'd love to move it to the suburbs of Chicago. Well, did you see that? There's one. Did you say the S in Illinois? I yeah. I don't know. I don't. It's not, what the fuck's wrong with you? Um, uh, what are you, some kind of idiot or something? No, I just think the edibles kicked in. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that'll do it. Um, wait, wait, just to finish off the thing with John Hughes is Sorry. Uh, to mention. Um, so at the time in the 80s, like a lot of teen movies in particular were, uh, Josh, you mentioned Porky's. They were very raunchy sex comedies. Yeah. Whereas John Hughes's movies tended to be a little more uh, humanizing and I don't know if mature is the right word, but kind of focused on the characters as maybe more real human beings with kind of more sophisticated characters and thoughts that um, kind of made them stand out. And, you know, so John Hughes's coming of age movies like The Breakfast Club, like this movie... And even some of his comedies like Ferris Bueller just are considered classics mostly because they had slightly deeper characters. So that's kind of his calling card. Yeah. And they have very um, it's well-constructed dialogue. They're they're almost. I thought the dialogue in this was actually pretty good. Yeah. I wrote that as a note. At times it's almost a precursor to the Aaron Sorkin patter you know with like everyone's everyone's always quipping everyone's always got a funny tag for whatever anyone else says and they're clever yeah and yeah that also kind of struck me how immediate there's like a you know a lot of 80s movies are uh tortured by this format where there's an elaborate there's a very long theme 
like you get a credit sequence and a really long theme song that often has the title of the movie in it. Uh, <laughs> and this was actually like, actually it's just people walking through a hallway of a house chatting about the, you know, there's like the bathroom situation and then Molly Ringwald having the side conversation. And it was, it was really just threw you in it in a way that I thought was pretty great. Let's talk about the cast a little bit. Molly Ringwald, uh, as Sam Baker, Samantha, Sam Baker. What did we think? She was pretty good in this. I thought, uh, very, like I said, very good at getting us to empathize with, uh, you know, a 16 year old girl, which is not something that comes naturally to me anyway. Jess, did you think she was good at kind of like bringing that to life? You were a 16 year old girl once. I, yes, yes, I was. Um, I thought she did a good job. She really like had, um, just her facial expressions and you just, it could be believable. She was also very stylish, like I thought. That hat in the beginning. Oh, God. You no. didn't like the hat? No. Oh, I liked the hat. I thought she dressed, She was a sharp dresser. I definitely picked yeah. you know, picked that up. Uh, and no, she has a great, like, I love how much of this movie is her sarcasm really carries a lot of this movie. Her her just, like, above-it-all-ness, uh, which, which there's a thing. Maybe the reason I keep invoking or I invoked John Waters is because there's a cartoonishness to a lot of this movie. Uh, yeah. Like, one example, when she gets on the bus uh, and and she just plays it so straight and so and so you know i don't know over it which i my my niece is uh like 14 and for a while my sister's always like sending you know she'll send you like selfies of the family together and there's something that changed my niece went from like looking thrilled about the world in every picture until to like just became a teen and is over it over it is the only <laughs> phrase i can use to describe it doesn't care, doesn't want to be there, just, or is like happy to be there, but doesn't understand, you know, doesn't give, you know, doesn't care. Alienated. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Molly Ringwald certainly carries that. She did seem older. Do you know her actual age? Because she seemed, there she seemed was 15 to, when they filmed it. it oh, wild. Because I thought she seemed much older than Anthony Michael Hall. Like he, he, he was, was also 15. Wow. Okay. Because his, but, that's good acting then. Yeah. But, um, the some of the other characters uh so jake and caroline the two older upperclassmen they were both in their 20s okay which uh kind of showed i think yeah again that like wasn't ready for that r did this have an r rating or was this pre pg pg that was pg yeah it um it came out before there was the uh I, I this came out in eighty four I think I said oh so this is right right when there was like there wasn't anything in between R and PG and they got PG because so no PG thirteen yeah but but there's full frontal nudity in it that definitely feels like yes. you'd get you'd slap an R on that in two thousand and twenty one well but you could. You she says fuck. Just she see says fuck for she, a second. She says fuck in like the it's like the first line of the movie, right? Or no, it's oh, not the first I think line. You're, I think you can get away with one fuck. She, I love it. She, it was. She's like, what? Uh, it's my 16th birthday, and everyone forgot. Fuck. <laughs> oh, and also just uh, with Molly Ringwald, um, John Hughes wrote. He he was inspired by her. He wrote the role for her. Now, how he did saw he? Her, how old was her, John Hughes? Any idea? Oh, I don't know. Because I was uh, thinking, I, like, is he in this age group, or he is he a bit old, like, in his 20s? Well, he wasn't 15. But he m- must have been in his 20s? Maybe. I could try and figure it out. Um, he was born in 
1950, so he was in his 30s. 30, 34. Yeah. Yes. So. A little creepy then, I'll say. If I was writing movies like this for 15-year-olds, I'd be, I think that's a bit sketch. Ah, whatever. Uh, so, Josh, do you want to talk about Jake? Uh, the har- Actually, Jess, I want to ask you first. Sorry to cut you off, no Josh. No worries. Um, Jess, uh, I asked you if you thought he was handsome, and I wrote down your response. I believe your response was, meh. <laughs> I was surprised by that. Um, I think by the end of the movie, I thought he was handsome, but initially I was like, um, nothing special. Ouch. Sorry. No, that's okay. He did have nice hair. He had great hair. Were you more interested in geek? Anthony no. Michael Hollis, Farmer Ted. Farmer Ted. <laughs> he was more entertaining to watch. He was funnier. He was. That's for sure. Are we? Can we move on to talking about Mr. Anthony Michael Hall, or did you want to? Oh, yeah. Talk more no, about Jake. Jake was. Fine. I will say J- Jake was almost Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, I don't see him as that character. No, right? He was uh, very agreeable. Uh, the character was very agreeable to how trashed his house was. I loved. I thought that was pretty hilarious. Yeah, but there was some stuff he did in the movie that we will talk about that I found yeah. very questionable. Yes. Oh, are you just this movie's? I mean, I'm gonna go ahead and say it. It's problematic. This movie is problematic <laughs> in a lot of different areas. <laughs> Not what I was expecting. Oh, I, 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 I definitely like. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to. Uh, so yes, Anthony Michael Hall, uh, actually. A huge part of the movie for someone who's billed in the credits as and Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah. He's yeah. kind of like the secondary, the, the main character. He's like the second protagonist. The deuteragonist, if you will. Yeah, because he does. I mean, at first he just seems like he's going to be an annoyance to, to Samantha, to Molly Ringwald, but we get a lot more of his character development when we, his group of friends it's pretty much equal time screen time in the last he gets a big arc yeah and that was the way this was separated into high school dance party wedding i thought it was like very three very defined acts we could have done without that wedding part the whole wedding was a little bit extra that we didn't need yeah uh, but what the would, only other well oh, okay no i was to say what would be the resolution though without it like i guess you know that get that just goes sort of begs the question of like what is the plot of this movie then if the wedding doesn't there wasn't no oh, I guess that's oh. true is it it's more of a slice of life yeah yeah well you know again it's mostly all in one day you could have had Jake show up you know at the end of the night like after the party instead of after the wedding but anyway we're getting ahead of ourselves the only other um person in the cast I specifically want to call out before we dive into the plot is. Pointing out that Getty Watanabe was in this movie playing Long Duck Dong. And oh my. All right. So the movie itself. Let's let's talk about this a little bit. Um, I didn't wait. Did I gloss over the, the blatant racism? Do we want to dwell on we'll, that for a we, minute? We'll, 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 we'll get into it when it shows up. Long Duck Dong. I hope oh, Getty Jesus Watanabe Christ. never worked again. Hope you're proud of yourself. Um, So the movie begins... And I am going to take it as a win that I was right. This does take place in Chicago, and it is a very nice neighborhood. That also, I wanted to mention, it's such a big, nice house, and 
the first thing that happens in the movie is they're fighting over the bathroom. I'm like, guys, you only have one bathroom in that house? Right. That giant house like that? There's no, there's one bathroom? Get out of here. I don't know. Common, a, a common problem on 90 sitcoms, just like the one bathroom. So I guess maybe there were a bunch of houses made, you know, and they had to, everyone got a bedroom, but there was one bathroom for the whole family. Strikes me as a little contrived. No downstairs bathroom? Come on, right? I'm surprised there isn't a bathroom off the master. Yeah. In a house like that? It's huge. Seriously. So. What a big family. Four kids. Three kids. And one of them is getting married the next day, which makes it maybe a little bit more understandable that they would forget about the birthday of one of the middle children. Yes, getting married to a man she's been dating for the checks notes uh, six month period. <laughs> right. It's so it's her sixteenth birthday, and uh, I know we mentioned it on part one, but I just wanted to circle back. Jess is sixteen. Like any, is there anything special about it at all for girls? Not that I remember. Well, there was that TV show, right? My super sweet sixteen. Yes, but I feel like. A lot of people who have the super sweet 16. I feel like that's a New York, New Jersey, Long Island sort of thing. Or LA. Yeah. Like, I've never heard of that happening here, but my friends that live in New York, they would always talk about their sweet 16s. Huh. You know, I ruminated on this during the movie, too, and thought maybe it's it's a thing that's just of the past. And we've, we're just like, it's sort of a more antiquated idea because... In, in the movie that they're like, she her friend is like, aren't you doing anything for your big Sweet 16? And they talk about ex- the band and the car in the driveway. And I thought like, I feel like when I was growing up, the big dates were 12, 18, and 21. Like 16 is just somehow got right relegated to the to the dustbin of of 12 and not 13? Uh, what happens at 12? Yeah, why, what happens at 12? Why tw- I think I was the first job I got. I, they hired me because I like they hired at tw- like twelve was the minimum age you could have a job. Oh, <laughs> so it's, it's <laughs> okay. like you can work finally work in the coal mines, Josh. It Jesus. was a cater. It was catering. I was like a little cater waiter. Uh, for me, sixteen. Yeah, uh, you can finally drive. You know that's a big deal. Yeah. That's wait, but you can't. You can get a permit at fifteen. Is that is that the rule? It's sort of like very state uh, to state. Yeah, it like so. yeah. Who cares? Anyway, um, uh, my point. My point being just that I think people made a bigger deal out of it in the eighties, and maybe that's a thing of the past. But like some people in certain regionally, like New York and major cities, maybe it is still a big extravagant thing. Yeah. Well, fair enough. So well, anyway, so Samantha's uh, on her. She's got her own phone line, you guys. Oh, my God. And she's talking to her. That's f- very 80s. Like yeah. Getting your own phone and phone line. I know. It's it's super cool, too. Wait, um, I'm also going to say on record, in case Dave gets too lazy to cut it out, I'm pretty sure I my first <laughs> job was like 15, not 12. I don't know why I said that. I, I think I got paid $12 an hour when I was 15. <laughs> <laughs> so what's important about being 12? nothing it's better than 11 <laughs> it's but du- is it it's double six okay snake well eyes? so oh that's not snake eyes all right so she's uh she's got a lot of the typical issues for a 16 year old high school girl you know she's worried about her body image uh she's worried about boys she's talking to her friend and stuff so you know like we get we get a sense of who she is and all that she comes down 
Uh, she's getting ready for school. Oh, she's a sophomore. We cleared that up. And she has this really dope hat. I do not like that. I don't understand why you don't like the hat. I loved the hat. But anyway, but we do get to the school and it just reminded me that, it, you know, as hip as the 80s are seen in some regards, the vast majority of a lot of 80s fashion was fucking terrible. There's a lot yes. of close-ups of shoes. Yeah, yes, sne- sneakers. Sneakers have come a long way. They yeah, really wanted to show off the footwear, the sneakers everyone had. <laughs> yeah. Awful. I guess I thought the clothing looked uh, not. Yeah, I don't know. It didn't jump out to me as much. No, it didn't jump out to me either. Oh, no, I I was just grossed out by a lot of it. I mean, some of it, yes, but it wasn't. I don't know. I was expecting more. Uh, the, The we do get to the first sort of most the big contrivance of the movie is that she's like she's like talking to her mom and you know her mom is oblivious to the fact that it's her birthday and she's like, "Hey, mom, like." pretty cool day today right and her mom's like shut up the wedding is tomorrow get out of my face already and she's like don't you think mom like maybe there's some and i was like how how does a family not talk, how did they not talk about this at all for weeks and weeks this is that's not how that this the conversation that incites the movie would have happened several weeks before the birthday i, I feel like but anyway yeah. where it's established almost immediately they forgot her birthday oh yeah and so at school, she's like taking a uh, little like, you know, quiz her friend made. It reminded me of, um, do you guys remember purity tests? No. No. Neither of you remember those? It was like a, a little thing that the uh, kids made up in high school where it was like, what have you done? And it was all like, you know, sex stuff and drug stuff and like bad things that you might have done. And you would like mark it and get a score on like how pure you were or how unpure you were. You guys don't remember purity tests? I don't know. It's like that- a stupid thing from high school that I remember. Vaguely. Uh, I, I vaguely remember that. But I, what I remember more, what that reminded me of was those paper uh, things you would make and you would fold them and you would answer different like things. Like the fortune teller? Yeah. Yeah. With your four fingers and you would you, you open and close, and it, pick a number, pick a color. Yes. It was like choose your own adventure because you, and it was, it would occasionally be like, who, who's your best friend and things like, like, you know, things like that. Oh, but those are like elementary school things. Those were fun though. You did not do oh, that sure. in high school? <laughs> I think I was done with those by high school. I have, to, um, yeah. You were definitely doing those in the car with me. Well, maybe. They were entertaining. Wait, I was going to say, was, uh, did those, uh, I, it took me a while to real. I thought, I assumed she was taking a test that a friend had given her, but there was a moment where I said, is she doing this for the class? <laughs> it's, a little, it's kind of explicit stuff to be answering for like a class survey. Cause it was when it was parenthesis kept saying like, you're, you will be anonymous or your name isn't on this. I was like, all right, kids, remember to turn in the pop quiz about which of each other you want to sleep with by the end of the class. Also, why did she drop it on the floor? What? Because her friend was sitting right behind her, and she wanted the friend to pick it up. But she was sleeping in class. But she was, like, reaching back to drop it on her desk, and she missed. And So she wasn't trying to miss. She was trying to drop it on the desk. Correct. Okay. But then Jake saw, and he, he picked it up. Like a real yeah. creeper. <laughs> like a real creeper. He was watching her the whole time. Did she notice that? He was reverse. Of course. He oh, was okay. He was stalking her. And she was into him, and yet she stayed away from him. 
It was very, very odd. Well, she was, you know, he was an upperclassman. She's just a, a sophomore. She was, a, you know, shy. But, well, okay, I'm jumping too far ahead. So anyway, yes, he, but now her crush is aware that she's crushing on him. We, the audience, know this. She, well, she finds out that the thing didn't get to her friend, but she doesn't know who has it. Right. He now realizes it, and he starts talking to his friend in the gym for a second, and is just like, that guy must have been like 40 years old. <laughs> yeah, and also they're yeah. doing push, they're doing pull-ups, and the, sh- the, the shot opens with so tightly <laughs> framed that I really thought they were faking it. And I, like, I was like, I bet they tried doing real pull-ups and then realized there was no way to deliver the dialogue and do pull-ups at the same time. Because the, the shot pulls out wide and they're both just kind of resting on it like, oh man, those pull-ups <laughs> we just did are tough. Well, when you got to do it like, you know, a bunch of times for different takes, you know, um, Shortly thereafter, we get that full frontal nudity you were talking about, too. Good Lord. Uh, I was not just not. I think, honestly, if I I would edit that out, there was no re- it was gratuitous. I'm sure for TV it is. It was. I, mean, I, I oh. say it's gratuitous. But again, this is the era of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And this was kind of a normal thing of 80s movies of just of just nudity, just just a hat, just to shoehorn it in there. So permissive. So here, uh, she's taking the bus home, and this is where we get Anthony Michael Hall. Oh wait, we, well, we didn't nudity. explain oh, what yeah, the, yeah. the nudity is. Uh, oh yeah, uh, Ma- Samantha, Molly Ringwald, and her friend are ogling Jake's girlfriend because Jake has a girlfriend, her crush, and they're staring at her while she's taking a shower in the gym. And Molly Ringwald is like, he would never like me because that's his girlfriend. Right. Which her again, name's Caroline. You could have done that scene without. Any nudity. Like, again, I don't know. Just well, where's the fun in that, Josh? I think the... I, I am not saying it's... I'm saying it was a choice. That's all. It was certainly a choice. Yes, it was. So Anthony Michael Hall enters the picture, and he starts hitting on her really, really hard. And I just... I did not have that kind of confidence when I was a nerd in high school. A nerd the, in... I don't have that confidence now. <laughs> A nerd and a freshman. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Well, he has also, con- he has he has confidence, but he it's like all talk because he yeah it's misplaced. Yeah. Right. Uh, Jess, what did you think of him? Just out of curiosity. I thought his character was funny. I liked it. Did you find him charming though? Um. No, he was just funny to watch. So not like in an endearing way. No, no. I just, you know, he was a geeky goof and Mm. he played his character well. Oh, okay. It's somewhat wild thing. I mean, he's funny. He's not the most memorable character, but but he he is funny. But I kept thinking about how less than a year later or a year later, he was uh, hired to be on Saturday Night Live. And I don't think this performance warrants that. I don't think this like showcases his range, like any range. He does one sort of annoying character thing, and he does it pretty well. But uh, well, it's got to be more than a year because he'd be sixteen. He was the youngest cast member ever hired, and it was I think the eighty-five season. Damn, you know uh, Jim Carrey tried out for the part. Yeah. Among the other things that haven't aged super well is that um, there's some language in this movie. So um, 
the f word gets used uh retard gets used uh, a lot of a lot of things that people don't say anymore in this movie so if you uh, haven't seen the film and are planning on it just know that that's uh, in the movie a bunch yeah no it's bad in that regard it does have some catchphrases from the 80s that i uh like i didn't always know they were just catchphrases uh don't have a cow is used i always attributed that to the simpsons but uh someone mm. says someone I says i don't remember that uh, one of the yeah, rel- I, don't I think one of the relatives says it to her when she realizes she has a bad sleeping arrangement. Someone says, don't have a cow. Oh. So she gets home and the grandparents are there. Number one, I think it is bananas that the grandparents forgot her birthday because she is right when she points out that like grandparents do live for that shit. Yes. But... Uh, Jess, I think you had a strong reaction to what happens when the grandparents arrive at the house. Yeah, just who does that? Who behaves that way? And who says that random stuff? Weird stuff. She had weird grandparents. They're uber Grandpa creepy. Grandpa was not like that. So uh, to make clear what we're talking about, um, one particular pair of grandparents in particular are like, she's just gotten her boobs. Oh, does she have her boobs? I don't see them. Let me get my magnifying glass. He oh, literally yes. everything about that was so odd. Everything from so this, odd. She gets home and it's like a few of the times they use the dragnet theme. Dun yeah. dun 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 dun. Yes. Uh, and uh, someone's in her bedroom and it's her grandparents and they're both in their like they're both undressed. They're both in like their underwear, but they carry on a full conversation with her. And then she runs into her other grandparents in the hallway and they corner her and they start examining her breasts. That magnifying glass comment was disgusting. And the grandma like grabs her tits, right? Yeah, she goes for her. Is this like, I I am not used to behavior like that. Is this just like a, like, like a Christian thing that Jews aren't into? No, Josh, what the hell? No, no, this is this is a heightened reality thing. This is where the movie is goofy. Like there's an there is an element of this movie where it's slightly cartoonish in this in this uh, animal National Lampoon's Animal House type way. And I think this was an example of it. Grandparents are obviously infamously obsessed with changes in their grandchildren height and things like that. I believe this is uh, if I had to open my. Uh, guide here satire of grandparents being being <laughs> creepy i th- but i do think there's a lot of uh this is like a movie that judges is very judgy of high school generation people but also very judgy of their parents it's it's almost like a you know uh holding a microscope up to this whole suburb community mm. with maybe mm-hmm. molly ringwald and jake being like the the sane the sane you They're know the straight people yeah the straight man, straight woman character. Yeah, know, and everyone all this madness happens around them. Right, like it's like one long sketch where they're normal, but everyone else is crazy. Right. So she then discovers because no one has bothered to tell her that there is someone in her room, and it's Long Duck Dong. <laughs> no. no, Long Duck Dong is in the brother's room. Oh. Her grandparents are in her room. I see. Yeah, gra- okay. grandparents kick her to her brother's room, and then Long Duck Dong is actually. Uh, I see. Staying there. Um, Oh, God. He lived down to my expectations. What did you guys think of this character? I could only think of Fez from that 70s show. Fair. Yeah, I thought I was slightly, I guess, encouraged or, or I thought it was like 
so bad, but I was a, a little bit. Um, I did kind of enjoy the bludo the bludoness of this character that he's just a raging party animal. Um, that seemed non stereotypical. That was the you know where they broke where the character that was fine. He wasn't relying on stereotypes for the for the jokes. And I thought, oh, the, the it was t- completely racist and thought this, I, th- I definitely, in the same way the grandparents are this heightened weird satire thing, I thought, yeah, I guess they probably thought this was very clever in 19, in, well, you know, in 1984, but, you know, but it's pretty, pretty What lazy. was the point of his character? To get laughs at the expense of an yeah. Asian stereotype. And it is worth pointing out that that he, the actor speaks nothing like this he is from the united states he made that accent and that way of speaking up for the character well right so he was putting on he was putting on a stereotypical act for the the joke it's almost like it's a it's almost a minstrel show type yes exactly yeah and I, the, you know they even combine it with like the gong sound and like the like dun 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 dun, dun, dun you know the China music all the time like it's 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 bad shit. But also the yeah, but it's also again though the hornbally kind of idiot uh, frat boy humor. I didn't expect there to be so much of that in this, but like long duck dong, like seriously. <laughs> well, like, right. I mean, there's. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's not like they named they. I I don't know. I think it was it was like all right, we're gonna do this. It's gonna be outrageous. It's gonna be ridiculous, and we're in on the joke, so it's okay. And that's but that's not okay. You know, it's we've yeah. we've all all right. Well, we we talked about it. We can move on. I don't know. I don't know if I can move on from Long Kong. Oh. <laughs> no, I I I I mean, I, I he was it was a, no. I feel you. It was an odd part of the movie. It, it didn't. It, it was maybe not as bad as some of the Rob Schneider stereotypical characters that have shown up in recent years. Uh, where he well, has, I don't even watch those. He has so. no claim to the ethnicity, but he just shows up as a delivery guy in some Adam Sandler movie. Uh, again, I, not a redeemable part of the movie, but but I did enjoy some of his antics in later parts of it. Just full disclosure. Sure. All right. So she goes to the dance and she has to bring Long Duck Dong with her. Um but it is the it is the prom, but they just keep calling it the dance. Oh, I didn't realize it was the prom. Oh, you're right. Well, well, they keep referencing prom queen. Now maybe she's previously a prom queen, and this yeah, is just thought, a dance. Yeah, she she had been, she was like you know like a, a prom queen and a homecoming queen. Like she has that status, but that wasn't like that specific dance was just like a different dance. You know, I think you're right. I mean, again, a thing that's made more of an 80s. Like, I don't think that was so big in our in our high school lives. Like, where did you guys even have a prom king and queen? We did not. No, we did not. I don't remember. What a weird. It was never tied to like football games and the homecoming. Like, it was not at all related. Yeah, I don't think we did a homecoming. No, if I remember correctly, we did not. Yeah. Oh, the Um, dance, the dance. But we, we did, did like yeah. the Halloween dance. We had dances that were like this though, that were like in the gym in and the I, gym or the cafeteria. And I remember like <laughs> hugging the wall like those nerds. Like I was definitely one of those kids. Did I you... remember not going to them. <laughs> yeah, a lot of that too. Did you yeah. have infrared uh, binoculars that you used to scope the room as well as like headset uh, walkie-talkie communication <laughs> devices for you and your your bros? Of course. 
there's one thing one of my favorite parts of this was the soundtrack uh and up until this point there was a lot of soundtrack that had been filled in by the composer i didn't recognize a lot of the music and i was at the top of the dance there there's a very popular song but then there's the specials a ska (laughs) band a ska band from the 80s or from the 70s but um, I heard it and thought of you. Yeah, that was I was because I was like, fine. The first 80 song that played, I thought, oh, great. Finally, they've licensed some music and this is going to be cool. But then the specials track, I got extra excited. So at the dance, a few things go down. So uh, number one, Jake smiles at Sam and she is feeling pretty stoked about that. Uh, but then uh, Ted shows up and starts kind of like dancing all up in her face and that kind of sends her over the edge and she runs away. And that was um one of the moments where I really reflected on how well the movie was doing it, kind of, uh, you know, putting us in her head and making us feel what she was feeling. You know, like I really felt like I got her and what she was feeling in every particular moment, even if, you know, from the outside, it would seem like, she was having an outsized reaction to something because I knew everything that was going on with her and what she was feeling like throughout the whole day. I was just sort of able to be like, oh, yeah, this is a perfect, you know, I, I get it. I know exactly what she's thinking at every particular spot. Um, and then Ted just like keeps coming after her like this dork will not leave her alone. He does alone. not give up. No, I mean. Did you feel like it like crossed the line into inappropriate ever? Um, in the car it did. Like, who does that? Yeah. So Ted has no boundaries. It's not okay. No boundaries. So to set the scene, she leaves into another part of the high school. She goes to a like pretty badass metal shop that they have, and um, they have this car that's being partially worked on. I will say I did like this whole idea that john hughes came up with in that he found a way to put the two of them in a car without them actually being in a car you know it it was kind of a clever idea for a scene but um the two of them have this whole scene where they sort of are sitting in the car and have a heart to heart but yeah go go ahead on what you were talking about with this scene well like josh said he just crosses the boundary he dry humps her. <laughs> he, he, he mounts her. He mounts her. Twice. Twice. And there's um, actually a sound effect ding because he mounts her and she's like, get off me. And he's like, ah. And she's like, no, it's okay. And, and then there's literally a ding, a bell rings to indicate that he's had the thought, oh, I'm in the clear. And then he dry humps her again. And she's like, no, I, I meant it's okay that you did it. Not don't do it. Not do it again. But I don't know. I just feel like it starts to get like like he's a real creep at some points. Yeah, he was there. He's over. He's way too aggressive. Her friend. For a t- nerd. Her friend. <laughs> it would have been okay if he was like a, a smooth hottie. Um. No, but I think it's more comical that he is the nerd and he's, you know, trying to climb on top of her in a car <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of the school metal shop. Yeah. It just kind of adds to the. It seemed appropriate for the universe. Um, again, I don't think I would make that same joke in, in a current script or anything, but uh, it was uh, sort sort of like the, again the cartoonish like I don't know. This felt like watching 
like if someone so how someone views suburbia through like the lens of like mild acid like if you dropped a little bit of acid and just looked at like home footage of people from the suburbs of illinois <laughs> I, I did say that you illinois did the ass again <laughs> Oh man. Uh, um he, it's not yeah. it's not it's just not it's rough. It's not okay. Uh but he does charm her a little bit. Even though yeah, they, they have a real heart to heart during this scene. You know, they they do find a connection. And she helps him out quite a lot oh, by doing something time. very again questionable by giving him her underwear. Yeah, what did you I, I mean, that that was a big fucking like okay. Not that you ever would do this but just sort of like can you just kind of like help me on a scale of one to ten sort of like help me figure out the degree to which this is like maybe not an insane thing to do but like how much of a big big deal what she did was like i I was just like blown away (laughs) what i don't understand is if someone does end up having sex you don't forget your underwear behind so why is it so awesome to collect her underwear it's proof that they had sex right i know but you have sex you put your underwear back on well maybe it's sort of like she let him keep it or she left so fast she forgot or like what you know that kind of thing i was like to just give it to him like what is that's got to be a 10 right on that on this scale okay I, I was genuinely confused why I thought they would work out some arrangement where he because he said I only need it for 10 minutes. So I thought she was going to lend it to him. He was going to go show off to his friends. He never gives it back. He never no. <laughs> gives it back. But Jake gets them back. Yeah. I know what a sweetheart, I guess. It is a, one of the it's a very altruistic move on Samantha's part. She has no reason to help him out. Yeah, like I didn't understand what she's getting out of this. But she, he, I guess she's just a nice person. Well, this is one of the more confusing parts. He does admit to her in the car that Jake had approached him and asked what was her deal. And he, so she now knows that Jake is at least somewhat interested in her. But then but she, I mean, still. she sees Jake at the coat pickup and he, he like looks at her lustily and she walks away. And then she says to the camera, like, why did I walk away? What is wrong with me? So what is wrong with her? What could she's could shy, you... dude? You ain't never been shy before. Well, what happened there though? Because is that it? Does she just... lost her nerve? Yeah, uh, I think that's what I thought. I don't know. It felt unrealistic to me, but maybe it's. Maybe well, what it's do you not... think? I can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's an upper class. Cold feet. Yeah, he's intimidating. He, you might not think he's very good looking, Jess. I no, think. but I've been in like situations like that. Everyone has. You just you get nervous at the last minute and you can't talk to them or have a conversation. Yeah, yeah. and it's a mutual cold feet. So he also doesn't say because um, he is so it's so taken with her that he doesn't know what to do either. Hmm. All right. I feel that that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Now we've got we have not brought up uh, what our friend uh, I don't want to keep using the character's name so what? LDD 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 has actually had quite a good time at the prom and uh, has a has a lady friend actually uh, yeah so we we smash cut to uh, 
LDD and his lady friend are heading home with Samantha. They're heading uh, home, and Samantha just goes home. There's a huge party being assembled. At Jake's house? I was a little bit... It yeah. Was, it was yeah, at Jake's, Jake's parents house. are out of town, so he throws a huge rager. At which, you know, Jake at no point in this film seems to be a very good boyfriend to Caroline. No. And maybe I missed it, but, like, is is there any point in the film that establishes that Caroline deserves to be treated poorly like is she ever like a bitch to someone or mean like why because I feel like she gets treated bad and I never saw any establishing thing where it's like oh this is just karma you know no there wasn't anything you almost expect something to happen when um, Sam is sitting outside the gym during the dance and the three popular girls walk past her like you expect them to say something or do something to yep. her, but they don't. They just I, walk I, past her. I totally did. I, I was like, oh, here come the mean girls. And then, yep. yeah. No, Nothing. They're very pleasant to her, and it's unclear. Like, Jake just seems kind of disinterested in in the relationship, and maybe he just doesn't have the heart to tell her or something like that. Like, and she But he's such a bad boyfriend. I was trying to think about what, like, what, I think maybe I missed something. Maybe I looked away from the screen during a montage, but some weird stuff happens at the party that I, I have a hard time and afterwards that I still don't know if I can get a handle on. Okay. But, uh, so it's established that Jake is having an after party. Sam goes home right. and, <laughs> uh, Mr. Uh, Wanatabe, uh, immediately wrecks his grandfather's or fake grandparents uh his adopted his uh his fake grandparents foreign exchange yeah. grandparents his, his wardens his car who are treating Their him car. like a servant i might yeah. add <laughs> he wrecks the car doesn't seem to care he actually runs over a car where there's a couple making out in the back seat yeah he nearly kills some people they, but they that's don't fine. stop they don't stop they're not phased by it they they're still necking no harm no foul and Anthony Michael Hall has uh, showed the underwear to a bunch of underclassmen and others and charged admission. So he's like having a great night. He gets his. Oh, we haven't even talked about John Cusack. And we barely talked about Joan Cusack, but she's she's just a very minor character. We get yeah, a shot. I mean, of, they're kind of blinking. You miss it. So, well, I guess they're both they're both sort of also rans. Anyway, Anthony Michael Hall, John Cusack and other nerd. They're about to hit up the party. And who's at the door? Who's already inside? Our man, <laughs> LDD, Long Duck Dong. Uh, big montage of the party. It's it's how crazy were these eighty parties? Eighty. Another parties. high school party on film. I, fe- I mean, did these actually happen? Did you guys actually go to any of these? No. Yes. Yes. I I did in my life go to a raging house party you know that I had, can't sit yeah what was the diversity of crew though was it like your crew or was it like this where it's like the whole high school on one or two occasions i went to a party that was big enough that like a very high percentage of the high school was there i can't say that i was like particularly invited to this party or even especially <laughs> welcome at this party <laughs> But I did show up. <laughs> so you were. I, so I was like, I was Anthony Michael Hall. You were the Farmer Ted. Yes. Of, of your. Yeah. Gener- All right. 
yeah, I think I've been to a couple big parties, uh, but I mean, they also, I mean, they weren't like you, you know, I mean, obviously n- not quite like what Hollywood, you know, portrays. But like, I did go on at least one or two occasions to a party that was like very big and that was definitely trashing a house you know there was a terry gilliam level of uh set dressing <laughs> and like moments in the next the outside was pretty, pretty like we have the outside is all tp'd like what why there's pizzas everywhere there were pizzas there were more pizzas and pretzel bags and bowls of pretzels uh than i think people could have possibly even thought about consuming john mulaney talks about parties like this so i guess and my favorite my my favorite moment of the next sequence uh i mean there's a lot of weirdness some of it i will ask questions about but the thing that made me laugh the most was uh, unfortunately it didn't involve uh mr long duck uh the when she's lifting weights and he's exercising (laughs) and the barbell slides off the end crashes through the plaster into the basement takes which causes it to wreck four like shelves filled with wine in a wine cellar and then there's just a shot of the barbell and all the smashed wine and a champagne bottle pops i was like this is amazing like what you just left what i mean it was it was awesome I had a question about the decor of the house, which is that um, Anthony Michael Hall gets himself locked. It's not a coffee table. It seems more like a glass coffee coffin of some sort. Uh, What was he trapped in? In yeah, it was there a, at the end of the party. It was a glass coffee table, but it had one side open because, to, to, to you know, you don't need a like bottom. Like a trunk. What? <laughs> no, no, it's a, it was some what sort. The fuck was this? It was thing? supposed to be a glass coffee table, but you don't have a bottom on it because you don't need a bottom. You just need four sides and a top. So it was like a glass cube, but it was supposed to be a coffee table. All right. <laughs> and it opened and closed, and he got stuffed. In. But again, that answered okay. one of my questions: was okay. we don't see that happen, like right, like when he sat no. down on the couch and I just like, started. Just I thought, did I miss a scene? Did, did I, like, it was. It played out like a horror movie moment. He like looks down, and there's like an eyeball there. I was like, what is happening? I didn't understand that. And similarly, uh, I didn't understand the she got her hair caught in a door. And why didn't they just open the door? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> That's exactly what I said. All right. Yeah. But this this does loop back to my question about like why, you know, everyone treats her like she's kind of a bitch. And I don't understand why. Like she comes. So Caroline, the queen bee girl who's Jake's girlfriend. He is at the whole party kind of being aloof and mooning over Samantha and even trying to call her house, um, not which, being able to get through. Which the grandparents also act oddly towards. He's like, hi, I'd just like to yeah. speak to Samantha. And they're like, if you call hot sweet <laughs> Samantha one more time, I swear to God, you joker. Yeah. Like, what? But then he, he pays it forward because Caroline gets a little wasted and she's like, Hey, big boy, you know, boyfriend, I'm here and want to get with you. And he's like, leave me alone. (laughs) And I'm like, what the fuck? What did she do? And then I guess, did maybe I, did I miss this or did we not see it? Then she just has her hair stuck in a door for some reason, for, for no reason. I don't know. And her friend, she's stuck, which I think was like, oh, I was like, oh, that's where all those porn, porn hub videos came from. (laughs) 
That and Halloween. Yeah. Uh, but she's got her hair stuck in a door, and her friends are wasted, and they're all wearing, I guess, Jake's parents' clothing. There's that's also a very eighties party thing. They ruin her pearls. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say she has to get out, and I'm like, okay, open the door. But they don't open the door. They take a giant pair of uh, clo- <laughs> fabric scissors and cut her hair off. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, well, that's alcohol for you, Josh. I don't know if you've ever encountered it before. <laughs> I guess. Okay. So as long as that's, I, I, I just thought that's, I had missed a scene or something. No, no, no. It's. I think that's just drunk logic. We uh, get a few scenes back with Samantha. She has a very actually sweet scene with her dad where he apologizes for forgetting her birthday. Um, and they have like a nice father daughter moment where, you know, he talks about, basically you know what crushes your birthday well yes we forgot your birthday but also like you know he talks about how he understands well first they have a misunderstanding about what she's talking about but then you know the fact that she has the this crush on this boy and how he loves her and if the boy can't see that then you know he's a fool and it's a it's a sweet moment you know i don't know how common it is uh to have father-daughter bonding moments about uh, one's love life but um you know as far as this one goes it seemed to be kind of like a, you know ultimately like a very kind of touching one i liked it i mean did it ring true for you jess uh no i don't think i've ever had a conversation like that well our father is uh not touchy-feely so we would never talk to him about something like that but like in general do you feel like it was you know did was it a nice moment did it work yeah, for you it was a moving moment he's you know he truly loves her and is apologizing and you know just wants her to be happy and whatnot but i can't imagine having a conversation like that well not with our dad no (laughs) yeah what about you josh i I like you and your mom talk about your love life a lot uh sometimes i mean i didn't have much of one in high school i liked that Sam went home and did get to have this side. It felt uh, again the, like the plots diverged a little bit. Obviously, they were still headed in the in towards the conclusion, uh, same conclusion. But uh, rather than have her be unhappy at the wild party or anything, having this quiet moment at her home uh, juxtaposed against the party was, uh, I think, a good move. And and one of the things that humanizes the characters in the movie like you've said a few times it could have just been animal house it could have just been a raucous teen party where everyone has a fight and then it turns out they all make up but by bringing her family back into it and having her on the couch uh because of the grandparents was you know was smart it was interesting to have her go home after the dance not go to the party and essentially like basically be divorced from the main action of the film for like half of it. Yeah. You know, like it was an interesting choice. And it, like, it, it was, it was wild how Jake uh, was so calm, didn't <laughs> completely unfazed by the massive destruction done to his house. Oh my God. He's <laughs> completely sanguine about it. And even in fact, as we'll get to volunteers, some even, even more of his property for destruction. Yeah. Cause then we get to the honest part of the movie that I, for me, Yeah, let's talk about it. So she has the heart to heart with her dad. And then Anthony Michael Hall is discovered trapped under the coffee table. Jake is just like kind of like surveying the wreckage of the party. And he sits down on the couch to, I guess, contemplate 
why Sam isn't, you know, why Sam, why he likes Sam so much. He discovers Anthony and Michael Hall, and they have a heart-to-heart that mimics the same one that Sam just had. Anthony Michael Hall also, I don't know if you noticed, apparently for a freshman makes an exquisite drink for the two of them. Yes, I noticed. That was so, like, random. He makes like a martini, yeah. Like a really nice one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And gives some, like, pretty decent advice, too, I might add. Yeah. Um, And that leads to, yeah, another very questionable choice. Okay. Yeah. Jess, you said that this surprised you. Let's mention what it is. So Anthony Michael Hall tells Jake that uh, Samantha likes him, and Jake is like, great. Uh, In return for this, um, my girlfriend is wasted drunk upstairs. Now, I could violate her six ways to Sunday if I want, but I just don't want to because I'm not into her anymore. Again, making me kind of feel like Jake is not a great guy. Continuing on with this theme, he's like, why don't you take her home? She's totally gone. You can have some fun. And it's sort of like, is what is he telling him to do here? Is he telling him to take her and rape her? Yeah, that's what it seems like. And he even gives him a six pack of PBR and uh, and his, his father's Rolls Royce. Yeah. Rolls, yeah. So Jess, you you were shocked by this moment. Just based on what I predicted, this movie was about. This was totally out of left field. Was not expecting. <laughs> <laughs> But up until it now, was for a lot of us. Let me tell you something. <laughs> like, where did this just come in from? Okay, but up until now, it has to be you. Mu- it ha- it's already been subverting your expectations. Like, right? Like, come on. This but not, was not like this. This was not the innocent this movie. A lot more than I expected. I was. Oh, I'm in the same vein, and I it was. I guess the, they thought. Um, Anthony Michael Hall has been so aggressive and such a hornball that maybe the maybe it was supposed to come across as Jake being like, "All right, here you go, player. Like, here's the keys to the castle." And we were, and he was supposed to be like, "Oh no, he's because he's like, ah, ah, this is this is your dad's roles." Uh, but God, it's it's really really cringeworthy. It's very cringeworthy. Yeah. And when she wakes up and is like, "Who is he?" and Jake smarmingly goes. He's me. And she goes, who are you? And he goes, I'm him. And she goes, oh, whatever. Like, oh, I don't I don't know. Again, I think there's a lot about there's like probably uh, 40 minutes of this movie you wouldn't make in 2021 or you would have to, you know, really rethink. Yeah. And and the the ultimate resolution of it, too, is that um they wake up in the parking lot. Well, well he takes her to church. He takes yes. her to his friends and they take pictures of them together first. Oh, like yeah. it's a yeah. whole it's bad. Every part yeah. of it is bad. But I don't want to get he does a fourth wall break looking at the camera being like, now it's getting good. And like does that. Uh, but I, I just want to also point out that like there's no like this is pitched as a good thing that not as a bad thing. There's no comeuppance for it. The ending of the story is that they wake up in a parking lot and they're both kind of like, did we have sex? They're like, we probably did. And then they're kind of like, let's just start dating. 
Yeah. And they do. Like that, it, it's pitched as like a sweet kind of happy ending for it, them. It's weird. It's bonkers. It really ruins the last third of the movie. It's a real bummer. Also, there's like, anyway, yeah, because that takes us, I mean, that's one of the last things to happen in the movie. So to jump back chronologically a little bit, uh, he leaves with her. Uh, Jake now has a, you know, he knows he's going to go after Samantha and it's the next morning and it's the wedding day. Oh, there's a, we also didn't even talk about it, but the, for some reason they gave us a scene where Sam's parents and the bride and groom are meeting the groom's parents and like oh, yeah, literally the nothing happens. Like it doesn't advance the plot in any way. They yeah. just, no. it was it's, like, we've spent too much time with our protagonists. Let's go to these other characters for a second. There's like a comedy beat where they suggest that they're criminals and like, that's about it. But what was the point? None. <laughs> so yeah. it's the next day. It's oh, and the- they also, they keep using this term bohunk to refer to him. <laughs> yes. I, I had to Google what it. What is a bohunk? I did not know. I Googled it. It apparently is a an obsolete slur for people from Eastern and Central Europe. Oh, yeah, because they're Italian. But Italian is not even Eastern or Central Europe. Oh, uh, Yikes. Delete I know, right? that from the pod, please. No, but they do seem like they're they play the Godfather music. For yeah, them. The, they do make make them seem like cartoonish mobsters. So what? Whatever. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, it's the next morning. But hold on, there's even more cringeworthy stuff to talk about because it's the next morning, and the problem with the. With with the bride to be is that it's her period and she's got cramps <laughs> and that's the next plot point we have to address like because what? okay and so she took too much pms medication she took muscle relaxers oh okay i was gonna be like i did not realize pms medication could do this to you <laughs> this was actually an odd choice of a movie i have to say to choose to do with your sister dave <laughs> <laughs> and you dragged, I, I didn't and you know. Dragged, and you've dragged me into this sordid mess you've made of this conversation. Yeah, yeah Jesse, why don't you also tell us the story of your first period while you're. <laughs> I, re- I regret that Robin is not here to balance it out a little bit because I would have no problem asking Robin these questions. But. All right, no, but I guess I, if it's a muscle relaxer, I guess that makes more sense, right? She probably took too much Valium and had champagne. Yeah. So, all right, so the sister's wasted at her wedding, and, you know, it's kind of funny. I I was reflecting, I was like, I actually am not sure if you could legally get married under such circumstances. <laughs> no. Yeah, and there's a great, there's a couple funny jokes where she's, she's like, uh, having trouble in the bridal suite, and the wedding, the, uh, the, the church is pitch quiet, and everyone is listening, and, you know, you have, like, Paul Dooley being like, I don't want anyone to know that she's got her period. It's like, you know, okay. I was like, all right, this is pretty immature 80s shit, but it's pretty funny. Fine, yeah. Oh, uh, they also collect Long Duck Dong off of the... um, Oh, no, that was Off the lawn in the morning, and they're kind of like... Because they see him as nothing but a servant, they're basically just like, where's our car, servant? And like beating him on the, on the lawn. Again, what? not not great. One of them quips, he's drunk as a skunk. That's a real term. <laughs> yeah. I've heard it. All right, well, anyway, the wedding goes off, um, I wouldn't say without a hitch, but it happens uh, successfully enough that the marriage is concluded. <laughs> One credit to John Hughes. 
with all this cringeworthy stuff, he doesn't dwell, he doesn't dwell on it too long. He sort of knows when to like, I mean, yes, he rings, he rings material out of it to the point where it's uncomfortable, but he doesn't stay in it. He kind of knows when to leave. Like, for example, we don't really get much of the actual ceremony. We know that she's messed up and we see her get to the altar and then it's like smash cut to they're leaving the church. So he does have a good sense of of like narr- I think narrative with some of these things. Um, I think that's fair and I do agree, but I would still maintain that I don't think we needed the second day at all. Like we didn't need the wedding at all. We, you know, like I was kind of done with the movie after the party was finished. I think all of the kind of like denouement of the movie that concluded everything could have happened sort of like at the end of the night leading into like kind of dawn the next day. You know, in the you know, in, in the next morning, just like at various people's houses, kind of stuff. We didn't we didn't need the next day, right? Well, this is, gets to the what is the plot of this movie? Because right. our, we've talked well, about let, well, let's, I, let's we finished talking. About we it. talked about Anthony Michael Hall's storyline and and how him and Caroline, uh, Geek and Caroline, end up together, and then we get back to the church, and it is uh, the everyone is fanning out after the wedding. There's a hilarious, oh, I'm being sarcastic, hilarious uh, sequence where she has trouble getting into the limo, uh, and which is actually an example of the joke being belabored too much. That contradicts my 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 uh, uh, credit to Mr. Hughes. But anyway, and Jake is, at all the, the cars part, and Jake is across the street staring at Samantha. Thirsty. It is kind of a cool shot. As yes. everything like clears out and he's standing there next to his dope ass ride. Yes. <laughs> I was gonna say that. Yeah, waiting for her. And he has a nice ride. That's a nice car. It was a cool car. For a high schooler. Dude, he was rich as shit. He just gave away his dad's Rolls Royce, didn't care at all. He was just like, Yeah, take my dad's car. Which I don't care if you fuck it up. That begs the question, are his parents dead? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if dad said that to us? Is he this... <laughs> would not because he cares about his things. Is this a is the is this a movie where Jake has the first the the prologue is Jake has killed his parents? <laughs> <laughs> There's a prequel, and he's that's why he doesn't care about Caroline. And he's a sociopath. Like that's why <laughs> it's uh, the sequel to this movie is called Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> um. Well, so anyway, and so. Uh, Samantha winds up dating Jake and the movie concludes with the scene I was talking about where she goes back with him to his house and he has the cake for her and they're sitting on the table with the cake in between them and he says to her make a wish Jess you were right there is a birthday wish in this movie (laughs) it's the only thing I got right but she says she doesn't need to make a wish because it already came true. <laughs> 16 candles, oh candles. They actually play uh, If You Were Here by the Thompson Twins, which is a song I kind of like. And then, yes, that is the end of the movie. Woo! And then, yeah, the 16 Candles song comes in over the closing credits, and that's the end. Heck Ta-da. yeah. Well, yeah. Didn't so. get that shot I, I I forecasted of the cake, unfortunately. Although the wide shot of the two of them was good. 
I, I will say, and, and, you know, obviously the shot is, like, very famous and, like, zeitgeisty and has penetrated the culture. But the whole thing I kept thinking about looking at it was I was like, where did he get it? <laughs> well, also, Where did he get the cake? It's night. It's gone from morning to night. So I yes. presumably they've spent the oh. whole day together. Okay. That's a good point. Yeah, all right. Good call. Yeah. Well observed. Okay. Um, all right. So she does say she's skipping the after the the, the reception. Uh, that's fair. Because did you see the bride? I don't think she's making think the reception she's making either. It. Yeah. <laughs> what if they had a DVD with an extended cut that included the reception and it was just long duck dong jokes <laughs> for 45 minutes? He's joined by Short Round from uh, the Temple of Doom and yeah. uh, the the kid from uh, the Goonies and they're all just hanging out. <laughs> so this movie, you guys, had a budget of $6.5 million dollars. Um, do either of you want to guess how much money it made? Fifteen five. Jess? Twenty. Jess, you win. This movie made $23.7 million. Mm. Um, it did mention when I looked at it that it was, you know, kind of like a modest success when it came out, but what it really uh did very well on was uh VHS. It was a huge kind of cult hit on home video. So that was kind of interesting. Um, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has an 84% fresh from critics and an 85% uh, score from the audiences, which is uh, kind of uh, one of the closer matches I've seen recently. We've been having a lot of gaps recently, and this one actually is a pretty close match, so that's sort of interesting. I wanted to mention, lastly, just a few professional reviews that I saw because uh, I thought they were kind of... Um, insightful so all right on the positive side uh gene siskel liked this movie he gave it three and a half stars out of four and he called it the best teenage comedy since risky business he said it was certain to draw a lot of laughs but the guess here is that it will also offer comfort to young girls and boys who feel awkward Comfort and moments of recognition are in short supply in teenage movies, with, which often portray a world of violence and sexual mastery that is a lie. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's true enough. Right, guys? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ebert also liked the film, and to Ebert's, uh, what's the opposite of to his credit? To his demerit? Yeah. He thought Getty Watanabe was good and funny in it. He said that Getty Watanabe elevates his role from a potentially offensive stereotype to high comedy. Uh, Ah. uh, Okay. (laughs) Right. I love you, Roger, but not this time. That that is, you know, the eighties were. This was this movie is nearly forty years old, so I think we have to. But usually, even for the time, was more perceptive than that. I don't know. I just on the negative side. uh, Number one, even at the time, uh, the character of Long Duck Dong came in for a lot of criticism for being a retrograde negative Asian stereotype. Also. Even at the time, people were able to notice and criticize the fact that it basically condones rape. Yeah. But, you know, especially as time has gone on, it's coming for more criticism for that. Um, and then also just from the 
from the pros. I've got a couple uh, quotes here. Sheila Benson, writing for the LA Times, wrote, Vacation worked for all its raunchiness. 16 Candles, mixture of the sympathetic and the synthetic, the raucous and the racist, doesn't. At least not for me. It flails about substituting chaos and raunchy language for any semblance of wit. And then David Kerr, writing for the Chicago Re- for the Chicago Reader, wrote, "As the girl Molly Ringwald is natural and appealing, but she's lost in a world of blunt, vicious caricatures." I'd agree with those later assessments. Yeah, yeah. same. But I also not my experience. Like, so it's interesting because I thought this, I expected this to be a much more feminine movie and a, and a much, a movie much more from a, a female's perspective. And it was a really kind of bro-y, I don't know. Maybe that's what you meant earlier, just when you're like, not what you expected. Was it? Was it what I expected? No, I mean, was that what you meant when you said it wasn't what you expected? Oh, no, that's not what I meant. Just all of my predictions, I was just totally off hmm. yeah. but i do see how josh thinks that it's more of a bro-y movie oh yeah it's it's kind of it's got a very almost animal house feel for a lot of yeah it. even down to the date rape <laughs> you know i will say that this is john hughes first movie directing so you know maybe we can cut him a little slack for that mm-hmm. i think that was too that helped him because when you're a writer director uh, I, I don't know if this, I feel like this script probably would have been better served by someone else, but as far as establishing himself as a director, um, I imagine that he went into it, uh, as a first time director and had to make a lot work on the fly and like went into I shots with ideas. And that's why we get some scenes and we don't get others and things like that. And some mm-hmm. of it feels nonlinear, but, uh, when you're the director and the writer, you can do that. You don't have anyone else like arguing with you that you need to have, you know, more of the ceremony actually in, in the, in the film. Right. And again, what was the plot? So what was the plot of this movie? If you're going to write, if you're going to describe this movie to a friend in three sentences, what would you say? You know, it doesn't have to be exactly three, but what would your synopsis be? Your three sentence synopsis? Jess, go first. Um, it's about a high school girl who is turning 16 but her entire family forgets that it's her birthday because her sister is getting married. And it kind of takes you through the day-to-day stresses that high school girls go through. Boys and family and becoming a woman and that's you can't add an end that's a that's a very like, run-on third this sentence. is too much of a run-on <laughs> sentence you're out of time well the whole movie is a bit of a run-on <laughs> oh shit <laughs> oh no i think uh, that josh what about you i i mean that's kind of what i was getting at that you wouldn't expect that movie to feature an hour of screen time of anthony michael hall no <laughs> no you wouldn't it's true. He takes up a lot of screen time. Yeah. She's out of the action for fully half of the movie. 
I mean, particularly uh, with that whole sketchy subplot, because there's like there's just him and driving around with Caroline and and it does have a, the car has a car. The Rolls has a car phone, a very a very uh, 80s, you know, yeah. device. I didn't know they had car phones back then. Yeah. If you were rich. Oh, that's why I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> right. I wonder how that oh. worked. How did you get phone signal? I guess it must have been a a satellite. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I can, if I speculate, I'm going to sound pretty stupid. But All right. Well, I think it's time for us to sort of tie this up a little bit. Um, so I'm going to ask you the final question of the podcast, and that is whether or not you felt the film was better late or never. And to be clear, what I mean by that is better late means that you feel not just that the movie was good or bad, which you can say when you answer, but better late means that the movie was essential, you know, somehow seeing the movie filled a kind of critical, you know, film uh, void. You know, this is, this is one of those essential movies that you have to see, whereas a never means that a person can spend their whole life without ever seeing this movie, and then that is totally okay. And Jess, since this is your first one, I'll let you go first. Well, I, I had, there was a lot of mystery about this movie. And just having not seen it, I felt that I was missing out. And I feel like there was a lot of hype about this movie and The Breakfast Club and Pretty in Pink. And it's like, you gotta see it. You just gotta see it at least once. So I did it was not what i expected did i enjoy myself while watching yeah it was okay for a saturday afternoon i would have been okay not seeing it fair yeah oh okay but oh yeah but like i said it's one of those movies that if you don't see it people are like oh my god how did you not see that movie growing up well now i can say i've seen it yeah yeah josh i'm gonna let i'm gonna break a lot of hearts here and say it's a never uh (laughs) but that's doesn't mean i didn't enjoy the watch and i think uh i I tend to put a lot of caveats on my final judgment so uh, it's a it's definitely to me in the never category but because of the narrow definitions of it that your life would not be changed having not seen this film, I think that's applicable to it. It has inspired me on a personal level to see more of the John Hughes movies. So I'm giving it the the worst of the two outcomes, but it did make me want to see revisit like weird science and, uh, you know, breakfast club and uh, just sort of get yes. like a better handle on this cinematic universe now i would i would also like to say something a little bit political and say another reason it's in the never category for me is the complete lack of diversity and terrible stereotyping if it had like a sort of diverse character uh body and there was one stereotype i'd say maybe it would have value for this you know era of high school students but i think a movie like this is bad for high school students now to see because it would make People who don't see themselves in it represented, that'd be they they feel left out. And for white people, it's just like 
God, ah, God, we're bad. We're terrible. So I don't know. Well, I, I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, it, it, it's not so much the lack of diversity in and of itself that I see as an issue in this film. It's more the fact that there is a character in this movie that is just explicitly racist. Well, that coupled with the questionable date rape stuff yeah, well sure yeah. yeah like all of it as a combined pack like if when i have a teenage uh, kid one day i'm i'm not gonna be i mean i'd feel the same way probably about american pie and other movies like i'm not saying they can't watch them but like they're not the ones i'm probably pulling off the shelf i'll probably go for something. you gotta you gotta give them a little bit of a prep talk first about the you know times are different yeah, when times. this movie were, was made yeah, yeah I, or but there but there are movies like Caddyshack where I don't think you have to do that. Although Caddy, but Caddyshack yeah. is sort of a raunchy sex comedy, you know, non-diverse movie that that it doesn't isn't horribly offensive like this one. Right, right. Um, sorry, yeah. Jess. I don't not say I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. I did enjoy it. I'm not trying to nag on the movie because this was your this was for really for this was your movie. So well, it sounds like the two of you agree, frankly. Yeah, and I think we do agree. I just say that I'm glad I did see it because it's. I, I want to know what the hype is did. about. Yeah. yeah, what was all the hype about? And it was disappointing. It was not what I. It didn't live up to the hype. It for did you. not live up to the hype for me. And so now the, I really want to rewatch The Breakfast Club to see how I feel about that after analyzing this movie. See that one, I think, will hold up better. That one doesn't have long duck tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I have a question. So, have any of us seen Pretty in Pink? No. No. We should do a sequel pod then, because I think it'd be interesting to keep going and do that one, and I'm down especially for if the three of us that. haven't seen yeah. it. Yeah. Just to finish off the circle, though, I'm just going to say that I agree with the two of you. Uh, I found this film to be a never. I enjoyed watching it. I I liked the movie. Um, it had all of the negatives that we already discussed, but also within the strict confines of what the question asks, uh, I don't feel like this is a movie you need to see. I, I am glad, like you are, Jess, that now when people are like, oh my god, you've never seen 16 Candles, I can actually be like, no, I, I've seen 16 Candles, you know, but it did not live up to the hype for me either. Right. So Correct. it's a never for me, dog. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of Better Late Than Never. Josh, it is always a pleasure having you on the podcast. And Jess, I am so thrilled to finally have had you come on. I'm excited I did it. It's kind of like watching the movie. I finally see what the hype is about. <laughs> well, hopefully it didn't uh, It didn't fail to Better Late up. Than Never. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, better than 16 Candles. Much. Oh, good. And yeah, I think we also have a plan for a sequel episode here. We got we gonna come back pretty and do and pink. pretty and pink. All right, cool. I'm down. Right it's on. It's a deal. Woo. Well, in that case, uh, we've got a plan to move forward. And for all of you out there in listener land, if you'd like to get in touch with us, please just email us at betterlatethaneverpod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter at betterlate underscore pod. And do all those other extra things like like and subscribe, give us a five-star review. You know what all that stuff is. I don't need to tell you again. But uh, Smash that like button. Smash, smash that like it. button. Yeah. But that's it for this week. So hopefully you will come back and join us next time. And that is it. Bye. Bye.